Welcome to Open Life again, and my name is Thad, and I am pumped to be in this segment of Luke today, Luke 8, jumping into the parables, and as well, I'm excited for a guest that I'll introduce to you in just a few moments, and then we're going to have a dialogue at the end and talk about uh, our missions trip in 2015, this next summer, so get ready to be inspired Okay, make sure definitely that you fill out your connection card so we'll be interacting with it here towards the end. So um, Luke 8, 1 through 15, I'll read through this here in the NIV. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cuzza, isn't that just a weird, I don't know, these names are awesome, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Interesting, huh? His disciples asked him, what in the world were you talking about? No, it's just, I imagine that's kind of in our common context. Uh, Okay, help me, clue me in here. His disciples asked him, what this parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are, those, are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock uh, are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So a parable, as we would go with the definition here during the course of uh, the times we talk about parables, which will be in and out during the course of the Luke series, it's a short story from everyday life used to illustrate a spiritual truth. 
understood by those who've placed their faith in Jesus. See, it was a, supposed to be a mystery to those who yet to follow Jesus. And so, a short story for those who had put their trust in Jesus. They had, they had belief and salvation, right? Interesting, because Paul put it like this when writing Romans. Romans 1, 16 through 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, right? First for the Jew, then the Gentile, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So you had to have faith to understand. You had to have belief in salvation to understand what Jesus was saying. And even his disciples were like, uh, a little help here, right? Help us out. Like, what exactly did you mean? We could presume. But that's a parable. A parable is unpacking this story that just makes sense to everyone today if they have eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's nice to tell stories and all, but Jesus was a little off topic, and they were a little confused, and so they're like, help us out. Now, interesting, I don't know what it says in your Bible or the app you have open, or I know what it, you know, they title different passages of Scripture, and they title this one, The Parable of the Sower. I just find that interesting because we're talking about seed and soil. Isn't that interesting? It's about the sower. It's about the heart, the farmer, if you would, right? The sower the o- is the owner of the farm in this story. It's, it's God. And so the sower here is sowing seed. I think we got to catch this. God is going to sow seed everywhere. And we might wonder, like, okay, well, why, why did I share the gospel with them, and they were so excited, and then they never showed up again. Well, you know what? God sows seed everywhere in all seasons of our life. We can see, oh, that was a seed. I can't even share publicly some of the places I've been witness to because there's just no way it would glorify God. But it was a seed in my life. It's just interesting to me the moments at which God will sow seeds in our lives. And not just, you know, where we knew the seed would grow. And I think our temptation is to do that. It's like, well, okay, I'm not going to sow a seed until I know I'm going to have a positive result. And so we hold on to the gospel and we never share it. But God's saying, don't hold on to the seed. Go out and scatter the seed of good news everywhere. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be good news bringers everywhere we go. The challenge is we need to be less picky as to where we scatter seed. Way less picky. We just need to scatter the gospel everywhere. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Romans 10, 14 says, How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Remember that we said last week as Jesus was having his feet washed, 
Who's the feet now? We're the feet, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's us. We're the, kind of interesting, if you're not a foot person, you're like, great, I'm a foot, right? But that's the deal. We're like the feet of, uh, of this story here. We're supposed to bring the good news. And then catch this final phrase in Romans 10, 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We must be a people passionate about sowing seed, about sharing the Word of God, the good news. We should be the good news, which brings us to the seed, right? What is the seed here? Jesus made this plain in the parable. Uh, You know, he kind of gives the cliff notes of all these parables. You know, he tells the parable, and then he gives them the cliff notes. Okay, okay. Here's how you understand it, right? I wonder if he did take a deep breath when they asked him every time. He's like, okay, right? To not just go, you don't, seriously? You don't understand this one? This one's pretty easy. It's like, see, this, you should have got this one, guys, right? But anyway, he doesn't do that because he loves us. So um, he says the seed is the word of God. So maybe the question really is, who is the seed? Now let's connect some dots here. John 1.14 says this. The Word, so the Word of God, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus. Jesus became flesh. The Word of God came and lived among us. And then gave us the same charge. So let me get this straight. The seed is the Word, and Jesus was the Word become flesh among us, present, doing life. And then 2 Corinthians 5.20 challenges us. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. Through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus left us the job of being the gospel in flesh. We're the seed. We're supposed to be present among every scenario, the thorns, the path, The devil's going to come and try to gobble up the work we do. That's okay. We're supposed to be the seed. We're supposed to be the good news. We're supposed to be the love represented. We're supposed to be the generous. We're supposed to sow the seed. We're supposed to exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. We exist to sow seeds of generosity and seeds of love and seeds of service and seeds of just being there for people, of not necessarily proclaiming a protest or proclaiming a message all the time, but just being present. And eventually those around us will have ears that will hear and eyes that will see. The soil will become ready, right? And the seed of the gospel will take root in lives. So good seed is what open life is raising up within each of you. We're raising up the seed of the Word of God in you, equipping and empowering you 
to, to see the opportunities around you and to capitalize on those, both with those whom you have influence in and with complete strangers having the courage to step out with that unction of the Holy Spirit and make a difference in somebody's life because we're supposed to sow seed in all scenarios. But our good seed is one-directional unless there's eventually good soil, right? That's where this story lands is with good soil, those who will hear and retain and produce a harvest a hundred times over, a crop, it concludes. I know we love sometimes, and I love it when people say, man, I, I like open life. It's, I almost went into the voice there. I was trying to avoid, avoid the little, I love open life, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really intimate. It's small. I like small churches. And, uh, but here's the deal. God's put in our spirit to be a reproducing church. That, yeah, we'll have a bunch of churches that ha- have a form of critical mass and are growing, but, but he never did ever call his church to be small. He challenged his church to do some math that we're not familiar with because it would take all of us involved. He called us to do the math of multiplication and not addition. And we're supposed to be multipliers, multiplying a hundred times over, it says here. Can you imagine? And sometimes it's like church growth. If you're above 6%, you're, you know, you're doing really good. You know, and, and it's like, but we're challenged in Scripture all over the place to 100% multiply constantly. And that's a challenge to me. That's a challenge. He wants us to reproduce, to reach 100% more. And we've got the grace to do that. We've got the grace to go out and sow seed among places. I was told at a wedding I was doing last night that they were like, so, okay, let me get this straight because I've been watching what you guys are doing. And you're you're not necessarily following any model, right? Like, is there anything that taught you what to do? I was like, well, the, the Bible ultimately is what we're kind of trying to follow, right? And uh, it's, a good, it's a good guide. And, uh, and so it was kind of funny. I'm like, no, yeah, nobody's like just saying go out and be present amongst people and try to reach those that are farthest from God and that kind of thing. No, but that's what God has given us the grace to do. We're kind of in the place where God has helped us be and, and have favor with the schools and, and have favor with the city and, and, and make a difference where there's real need in the community. And, and it was just interesting to me because they're like, oh, that's very interesting. It's, it's very fun to see, you know, and you're just like, join us, right? I was like, come along because I have a feeling most people are living in the in America, see, we live in the, the choking zone of this illustration. We live amongst thorns, and, and our churches operate amongst thorns. We're getting choked out by, by the desires and the world and our schedules, and there's so many things trying to choke out the work of God in our lives. But God's like, no, 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 let's stir up the soil. And I think open life, if I would get a little prophetically stirred, can I do that? Can I speak into our future? I think what we've been doing for the last four and a half years as Open Life is preparing a lot of soil in our city. Yeah, we've been dropping seeds here and there, but the soil is becoming very, very ripe in our city and region for the seed of the gospel. People are listening to the seeds that are landing in their lives and being more and more willing to have ears that would hear 
what those who call open life home would be willing to say. We just got to say it. They respect it. We've got good rapport with people. I almost think we have too good of a reputation with people. We need to really make somebody more mad or something. You know, if we're not offending anyone. So, man, maybe Jesus offended people, so we may be a little too favored. But anyway, so looking at this, we're supposed to reproduce ourselves, right? And it's going to take good soil. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is this, Ezekiel 36, 8 through 11. You're going, boy, he sure has a lot of favorite passages in Scripture. But I do. I like a lot of them says, you, O mountain of Israel, will reproduce branches and fruit for many people of uh, Israel, for they will soon come home. I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You'll be plowed and sown, and I will multiply the number of people upon you, even the whole house of Israel. The towns will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt I'll increase the number of men and animals upon you, and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosper more than before. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. Every act of generosity we're doing is like a plow in the soil, which lifts and turns over the ground so that it's ready for seed. Every time we serve the community, the school supply give, which today in between two and four at Liberty Ridge Elementary School, we need to put our hands to the plow and sort these school supplies tomorrow night between six and eight. Come out. Don't miss the reward of all of the generosity we've sown. Come out and see the people inspired by your generosity because it'll move you. You, you. It'll mess you up. We've got to plow into the ground so that the soil will be ready for the seed we're sowing. And opportunities like this in our schools and serving our community are amazing. But I look around and I see cities like Buckley, downtown Buckley with closed businesses and Wilkeson. And if you ever go out there, it's cool. I don't know why I like it. And uh, there's just like these places with abandoned buildings and stuff. And I'm going... Passages like this just awaken something in me that will be able to inhabit cities like this and rebuild them. And then I look globally at the opportunities and my heart just starts throbbing and I can't wait to expose you to so much of the opportunity around the globe. What does God, why does God do all this? It concludes so that you will know he is Lord. Why does he go into vacant places and inhabit them and bless us and help us multiply and become numerous and reproduce into other cities and locations so that we can fulfill his word, that people will know he's Lord because they need hope and peace and comfort. God wants us to be those that are sown. And so I'm going to introduce you to our, our missionary guest today, John Vincent. And, uh, uh, but first, I'm going to let him be introduced by video. He's going to talk, and then we're going to dialogue. So get ready and uh, watch the screen here. Hey, good morning. Oh, Thad left his phone up here. Is that my clock, man? All right. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me here today. My name is John Vincent, and uh, I'm a missionary in Indonesia. I have just completed my first two years of uh, my tour of duty over there. And it's actually really exciting for me to be here uh, because uh, Thad and Dana are kind of close to our heart because this church has partnered really closely, closely with us over in Indonesia and the things that we've been doing. And Thad came out, and I got to kind of travel a little bit with your pastor. And I got to say... Um, your pastor's kind of a crazy guy. 
Uh, and he will eat anything. Okay? Uh, there's some weird stuff over there. I've been there for two years, and I, I don't eat anything. Uh, Thad will eat whatever is put in front of him. And, you know, he and I went out into the middle of Borneo, uh, fording rivers and little dugout canoes and all this kind of stuff. And I remember the one thing he said was that he's like, my wife said I can't do anything stupid. Okay? That was the only advice she gave him. And, and you know, I got there and I understood a little bit later on why. Uh, and I, I don't know that we really uh, honored that. Um, I think <laughs> uh, between, like, messing around on a collapsed bridge or I think my favorite one was that there was this wasp in the house that was like the size of my finger and Thad and I were really impressed by this and so we wanted to get a picture of it and so we're taking a picture and you can't really tell how big it is so then it's like well it's you know get your head over there by it you know and we'll <laughs> we'll get this picture of this and then uh, the the pastor who lived there was like you know apparently he'd been stung once by one of those and his leg was like paralyzed for a week and like two stings and you die they're like these horribly deadly things so um sorry dana i don't know that we didn't really do anything stupid so um but so it's really great uh to be here and to talk a little bit about indonesia a lot of people don't know uh about indonesia or where it is um so indonesia surprisingly uh, is the fourth largest country in the world even though a lot of people have never heard of it um, it is kind of sandwiched between Australia and mainland Asia. It, it consists of about 17,000 islands um, with about 6,000 islands that have people on them. So there's a lot of people that are scattered uh, over a lot of terrain. Uh, Indonesia has about 700 different languages. And uh, uh, so this also makes it kind of a challenge to reach this country. The thing, uh, in addition to that, is when it comes to missions, you know, when we talk about why, you know, what is our interest in Indonesia and why you, would you be a, a missionary to Indonesia, when it comes to missions, you know, we, we go back to Jesus' command in Matthew 28 where he gave the Great Commission, which was to go and bring the gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, and language. And so as we look at missions, one of the things that we do is we try to ask ourselves, where has that not happened? You know, where are there places where the church is not established? And when you have an area where the church isn't established, uh, we do this by groups of people is kind of how we do it. Uh, a group of people might have a, a, a similar language and culture, okay? And we, so we'll say, has that group of people been reached? If they haven't, we call them an unreached people group. Unreached people groups are places where the church presence is maybe under 2%. 2% might call themselves Christians, where people uh, could not find a church, uh, where you could not get a copy of the scripture in your language. And so the thing about Indonesia is that Indonesia is home to about 200 unreached people groups. And the unreached part of Indonesia represents about 70% of the whole country. So that is 170 million people who have never... Um, had a gospel presentation given to them even once, and if they wanted to know about Jesus, would not be able to find a Bible in their language, and would not be able to find a church uh, in their area that they could go to. Um, one of the things that we're doing over there is working with a group of people called the Banjar. The Banjar in South Kalimantan, this is uh, where Thad helped build a church there in Kalimantan, that's one of the things we're trying to do. The Banjar represent four million people. Four million people is about the population of the state of Washington. Um, there are zero known churches among the Banjar. 
Zero. I've been to places in Indonesia where you'll just drive and drive and drive, and I'll see mosque after mosque after mosque, but I won't see any churches. The reason why is Indonesia is also the world's largest Muslim country. Uh, this is surprising for people to hear that. When we think of Islam, we often think of the Middle East. Um, and while Middle Eastern nations are predominantly Muslim, uh, as far as population goes, only 20% of the world's Muslims actually live in the Middle East. 62% live in Asia Pacific. 62%. There are 1.7 billion Muslims in the world. 62% of them are living in Asia. So if we're talking about reaching the Muslim community, which is one of the most unreached communities in the world where the gospel has not penetrated. I mean, as we are trying to finish the task, uh, that is the part of the world that we have to look at. Uh, 1.7 billion of them, in order to do that, we need to look at Asia. And for Indonesia, Indonesia is the largest Muslim country. There are more Muslims in Indonesia than in Iran, Iraq, and Egypt combined. Uh, it represents about 13% of the entire uh, Islamic population of the world. So, um, this is a huge thing for us, and it's a huge opportunity because Indonesia also is a democratic republic, and there's freedom of religion, sort of. Um, you have to pick from one of five, so if you don't fall in that category, then tough luck for you. But there is freedom of religion within the country. There's a lot of freedom for us to move around. The Indonesian people are a very friendly, uh, almost shy and non-confrontive people. So the kind of picture that we often have you know, we see on the news a lot about how things are in the Middle East, very different in Indonesia. Uh, the Indonesian people are really friendly. I mean, they're so friendly, they put up with both Thad and I, so that says a lot. Um, and so one of the things that we're trying to do is reach this community. And some of the things that we're doing, uh, the church that we are working with, uh, if you guys go, Thad's going to talk a little bit later on about an opportunity to come visit us in Indonesia and work there. Um, we're in a city called Surabaya. Uh, it's about three to four million people all in one city. It's on Java. Java is the most populated island on the planet. About 70% of all the population of Indonesia lives on Java. Its density is so much that if you took every American west of the Mississippi and shoved them all into eastern Washington, that's going to be Java. Okay, so I uh, used to rant and complain about traffic here, like, all the time. And then I got to Indonesia, I was like, oh, man, are you kidding? I mean, this is like, uh, you know, a million people are all on the road at the same time. Uh, they all ride motorcycles, and it's like Mario Kart. Um, you know, these, there's just hundreds of motorcycles. The lines on the road, they're just cosmetic, okay? They don't have any actual purpose other than just decoration, you know? And, and these, they, they're, it's like a school of fish, just... Just go. There's no rules either. There's absolutely no rules. It's like if there's an opening on the sidewalk, they'll just go there, you know. So, um, you know, it's very, it's very different, but it's pretty exciting. And at ICA, we're trying to reach this area. One of the things that we're going to be doing is we have a plan to build 100 churches by 2025. And this is uh, something that Thad came out and did with us. We partner with local churches in Indonesia. So, um, if a pastor has a congregation of 50 and they own land and he's an upright guy, um, then we help supply materials and workers to go and build a building. Um, this is something that many of them would never, it'd be really hard for them to afford to do. Uh, and so we provide some of the materials. It costs about $10,000 to build a church. And they come and help 
put it up, we supply the materials, and then we've got a building for them to be able to worship in. And that's really important because, um, you know, I've been over there and I've, I've met people that were interested in Jesus. I've tried to figure out where to send them, and there's just nowhere to send them. You know, I'll look at where they're living, and the nearest church will be hours and hours and hours away. Um, so we are trying 100 churches by that time. One of the other things we're doing is working with the poor. Uh, in Surabaya, there's actually... Um, a, uh, we have a children's ministry that meets in a graveyard. It sounds kind of weird, uh, but the community, there's a building there, uh, but the community won't let them use it as a church. And so in order to do services, they put up tarps and tents, and we uh, have services in a graveyard in Indonesia. Graveyards have, like, Muslim sections, Christian sections, and all that. So if you're in the Christian section, you can kind of do whatever you want. And so... That's how we think out of the box a little bit. And on Saturdays, they go out and they minister to children and their families all in that uh, area. Uh, this is a kind of an at-risk area as well. Uh, one of the largest red light districts in Southeast Asia is around there. And so our church is going into there doing a youth development program where we help kids uh, learn life skills, get through school, uh, be able to scholarship them for college, and uh, help kind of rescued them from that. We're seeing some real answers to prayer, though, in that the, the mayor of Surabaya has recently been able to shut that red light district down. This is, like, actually a really big deal, and uh, we're hoping that it kind of it sticks. Um, so working with at-risk kids is one of the things that we're doing uh, in Indonesia. Um, among the Banjar, I mentioned the Banjar earlier, four million people with zero churches. We, are, uh, we have secretly planted six church planters in that area so we're funding them to be able to live there and start a small business and be able to start the first churches ever that will be in that area that's uh um, one of the projects that we also have going on um uh indonesia is the uh, has 140 active volcanoes this is a fiery country um, 140 active volcanoes is the most uh, volcanically active country in the world. Uh, so it's hot all around because it's about a million degrees just in the temperature. You know, it's, it's just about right on the equator. So we have two seasons, dry and hot and rainy and hot. Uh, and then there's fiery volcanoes and the Indonesian people love spicy food. There won't be salt and pepper on your table. There will just be a bunch of chili peppers. Um, and that's kind of how they go. So it is a land of fire. Um, but that means that things are blowing up quite a bit. So we also uh, respond to natural disasters. Uh, it's one of the ways that our church has been able to reach out to um, the communities. In fact, you know, um, for me, my interest in Indonesia, you know, came when I was in college and I felt this, you know, God putting it on my heart to, to reach out to the Muslim world, knowing that this is the part of the world that we haven't reached yet. And I felt like God kind of convicted me about that. And I remember thinking, well, kind of sounds like a really short career move, you know, and, uh, and for my internship, I ended up in the Philippines, really fell in love with that part of the world, and, and I remember in 2004, some of you guys will remember, Indonesia had a huge tsunami, big 10-point earthquake uh, off the, of, uh, the north part of the country, and 200,000 people were wiped out uh, immediately, and um, response to natural disasters has been one of those things that uh, has helped often spread the gospel. And that part of Indonesia, uh, Islam, is really um, uh, more uh, uh, entrenched. And 
there was this little church that had a real hard time with its community uh, and was facing persecution in that area. And after that, that church became the hub with which uh, supplies were able to reach that area during that devastation. And they took those supplies and they shared them with all of their neighbors, with people who had uh, persecuted them, people who had thrown rocks at their church and done all that kind of thing. And it changed that whole community's uh, mindset towards that church. So uh, when things like that happen, uh, we try to be uh, first on the ground as well um, to be able to, to, uh, to do that. So, um, you know, Open Life is what we call a partner church. And I'm reminded of what uh, Paul said in Philippians 1, 3-6. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, this church, uh, you know, you guys sometimes think, like, well, we're here, we're reaching Bonnie Lake, and that's all we're doing. But the reality is, is you guys are making an impact in parts of the world where the gospel has never come. You know, this church, I think, single-handedly raised money for uh, John Taylor to be able to have a vehicle, to be able to get to and fro. Like, that's huge. It's huge for him to be able to do everything that he does over there. You guys sent your pastors over to be able to work with us. Uh, You know, it's amazing how this body of believers is making an impact all the way on the other side of the world. And this is something, God gives us three things that we can do as a believer when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. Um, you know, you can be somebody who gives. And as Americans, I feel like uh, we have this amazing blessing to be that fish-in-the-loaf generation. You remember the little kid who had the couple of fish, a couple of loaves, gave them, gave them to Jesus, and Jesus blessed them, and they, they multiplied. Uh, you know, our giving here multiplies over there because of this amazing thing called an exchange rate, you know? Uh, you know, sometimes we're like, we just built a church for $10,000. I think in Seattle, $10,000 would be the permitting it would require, you know, just to build a shed in my backyard, you know. So, uh, you know, and now we have a whole church put up. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable that, that, you know, sometimes we feel like the things that we're doing, they don't make a difference. It feels like, oh, man, that's just a drop in the bucket, you know. It's not. Um, you know, we are really favored that the exchange rate multiplies the things that you do and really makes a difference. The ability to uh, pay for one of these pastors to be able to live uh, among the Banjar is, you know, it's like $6,000 a year. I mean, it's unbelievable the kinds of things that, that we are kind of blessed to do with our giving. One of the other things that you guys can do is you can pray. Prayer is huge for us over there. I know sometimes it just feels like, well, I'm not really sure if I'm doing anything, but the, the spiritual warfare that, that you feel in missions is, is big, and we look at prayer as like the kind of the air war, you know? It's, it's the air support, and without the air support, the guys on the ground are in real trouble. And the other thing you can do, and Thad's going to talk about this here, and I'm going to let him come up, is that you can go, and uh, we're going to give you guys opportunities to go. You know, some of you guys uh, have felt in your heart, you know, uh, maybe God is kind of touching you that you might want to be involved in missions. You might want to go. Maybe it's a short-term basis. Maybe it's a long-term basis. And we would love to have you come. Uh, some people say, well, I'm not really a preacher. I, I don't, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it, Indonesian people are relational people. When you go and you love them, it makes a huge difference. If you, there's so many things that you could do over there. You could, if you're a, a business person, or if you teach, or if you just speak English even, there are things that you can do uh, that could really make a difference in, uh, in Indonesia. So, thank you. We'll pull up the stool, yeah. 
We have a little less time than I had hoped for, but that's oh. cool. That always happens, right? Uh, but here's what I want to do. Uh, you know, we talked about being a reproducing church. Like, we love to do, and one of the reasons we chose as one of our first global partnerships as ICA Sarabaya is they're reproducing the church. I mean, building 100 churches by 2025 is an audacious goal. I would hope that we would have multiple churches, multiple open lives, and multiple cities by then. So we just, it's, it's, we're doing a very common mission. And, uh, and then, you know, we had pre-existing relationship with the tailors and buying their vehicle. And then you guys allowing us to go back there for a month. One year ago, we were in Indonesia. So it's kind of crazy with our whole family. And, and that was an adventure. Uh, so we love not only supporting the work of ICA Sarabaya, but we want to support the workers, right? So, like, as of today, we're picking you up on monthly support, which I know you weren't expecting. So it's kind of fun. We talked last week about blessing those whose feet are on the ground and giving the honor and, and value. And so we just honor you for serving, and we love that. We love the opportunity to just continue to, to be very focused in who we partner with globally, and we just believe that Indonesia needs to be reached. And not only that, we're going to have the opportunity, as he mentioned, to go next summer. We're still in the development of what it looks like, but we believe that we'll end up going to Sarabaya. We'll do social ministry and outreach with the church there somewhere between like June 29th and July 15th of 2015. And then uh, uh, hopefully we can get our adults at least or maybe our, some teens and adults to Sumba to, do, to build two churches and do some outreach there as well. And uh, the stories of the churches there that are needed are pretty intense, like a half-blind pastor and uh, that has this like little shack that'll blow over if the wind's too strong and stuff that she's meeting in. And, and so these are existing churches that then you bring the support of a building to. They've already begun the work of sharing the gospel. We're just going to help legitimize the work. And uh, so I'm excited about taking a team there. So our team is going to do whatever we figure out our team can do. So we need the team first and before we figure out the what. So on the back of your connection card, there's responses to the talk today on the left-hand side. On the bottom of the right-hand side, there's a checkbox. If you're interested in a mission strip in any way, shape, or form, even just curious, check that box because we're going to have a meeting. Uh, we'll be appealing for that box to be checked over the next couple weeks, and then we'll have a meeting here in September and go, okay, well, here's the team. We'll communicate to these guys in Indonesia and say, here's what it looks like. What can we do? And then we'll figure it out. It'll be a customized trip for open life. And I'm pretty excited about that. And you'll be there by then. You're going back when? January-ish? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And uh, uh, so taking an extra two minutes here, I, I had one question. Is it safe to be a missionary there? Because we, we see, we hear Islam and we think like ISIS. Yeah, right. so, um, you know, when I first went to Indonesia, I was a little panicked. You know, you, you're kind of nervous because you're going to the world's largest Muslim country. You're an American, and you're kind of like, okay, you know. You know, they're, you know, most other countries, when they find you're an American, they either love you or hate you, right? So, um, and I remember on my motorcycle one time, I got lost uh, in these really crazy maze of roads. They're not even roads, like a sidewalk with just buildings on the eye. And I thought, this is it. You know, this is the end. I'm down here. I'm, I'm a goner, you know, somebody's going to get me and kill me and, you know, they're never going to find me, this will be it. And instead they just kind of laughed at me and pointed the way out. Um, it turns out that the Indonesian people are, they're just really 
friendly people. Uh, there's four million people in Surabaya. I feel much safer walking down the streets of Surabaya at night than I would like in Los Angeles, I'll tell you that. Um, and what I found out instead is that for the Indonesian person, they've seen like American movies and things like that. And when they see you, they actually treat you more like you're a celebrity. So your biggest danger is you're going to get mobbed by people who want to have their photo taken with you. That's kind of uh, what we're experiencing there in Surabaya. Um, and I would say, you know, in any country, there's areas where you might have danger, just like it is in our country, right? Um, but uh, I was really surprised in Indonesia at how just friendly and safe, uh, yeah, it actually is. Right? So those guys getting out of that shipping container across from that shoe store in Palangkaiara were totally safe, right? With yeah. machine guns? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. That's why we were ducking yeah. in the car? Okay. So there is that moments. Is probably Densus 88, which that's the anti-terrorist group. In Indonesia cracks down pretty hard. ISIS is completely outlawed in the country, so that's, you yeah. know, they don't want anything to do with that, yeah. Yeah. So we're pretty safe there, just because I know that'd be one of your questions, like, okay, let's sacrifice ourselves and go there. We yeah. will die. You, you need to pray over your food. That's the deal. Most Americans, the whole time yeah. you eat it. You don't pray for your meal before you eat. You pray for your meal during your eating. Some, some food you pray over, some you intercede over. Okay, that's... that's and uh, you never ask <laughs> what you're eating. No. Sometimes it's obvious when it's like moving and stuff and it's trying to slither off, but... We, I knew I was not in America anymore when um, there were these little boys playing guitar because uh, they sometimes, they're about six years old, playing guitar to get money. And we invited them to sit down and have some food at this little outdoor restaurant. I said, anything you want on the menu, man, anything you want. They had fried chicken and fish and everything like that. And these little boys, they all, you know what they picked? The fried intestines. And I'm like, yeah, I am not in America anymore. I, I guarantee you, I can go one end of this country to the other. I give a six-year-old kid his pick of the menu, and it's not going to be intestines. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, get help when you read the menu. Don't just point and... and <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we want to pray with you today and want you to pray. Worship team, come on up. Uh, we want to give you a chance to be stirred by God in multiple ways, not only just to continue to sow seed here in our community, but to realize there's good soil around the globe, and we need to do our part to help that seed be sown there as well. And when we regularly and consistently are generous here, we're able to say to a missionary, hey, we're going to pick you up monthly and support you because of the work you're supporting there. And uh, uh, and we're also, we need to be those who would pray for the multiplication and reproduction of the church, that God would not only help a hundred churches be built there, but that we would reach all of our communities here, that we would settle in these desolate cities and rebuild them, just be a benefit to our communities and watch God work through that way. But I think some of us in this room, we need to be open to the fact that God could call someone in here to missions and just open our lives up. So maybe it's the mission of right here, but maybe God's been stirring your heart for a while. You need to not just go, this would be a great trip to discover how comfortable you are in that environment. For like, it'll only cost about 2200 bucks, and we'll help you raise all of it. But maybe you're supposed to full-time like pack up and move. And so we want you to be praying about that. Don't shut that opportunity down. Don't assume you're not the guy. Because that's when God sometimes just picks you out and goes, oh, yeah, I can do that. Look at this, you know. So um, we want to pray for you. Uh, so in, in a time of reflection, kind of consider it here. And then after the service, 
John has a table back there, can answer your questions and stuff. But a couple of us will be down here just to pray with you personally if you really are just wrestling over what God is speaking to you today. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for John and that he could come and share with us here just video and just help us to comprehend a little more Indonesia. But I pray that, God, you would fan into flame his support and the funds he needs to get back in January to Indonesia and continue the work of reaching this huge quantity of unreached people. And uh, I just pray that, God, you would give us the chance to continue to partner in creative and additional ways, not just with our local schools and community and the needs here that we're focused on in the present, but, Lord, I, I pray you would give us the capacity to even do more globally and understand that our regular and consistent generosity is making an impact around the world. And that we could go and stand on the ground we're supporting and see the work, what a blessing that'll be in a year from now. And so, God, I just pray for you to stir hearts. As Jamie sings this morning, may hearts just be awakened. May those connection cards and the responses jump off into the face of people. And may they just have to respond to what you're urging them to do today. In Jesus' name I pray.